I don't remember, I was probably 12 or 13 years old. The first time it really sunk in that I could simultaneously be really deeply loved and disliked at the same time. I, uh, I don't remember what I was doing I, exactly, but I, I do remember that, if, you know, in this very 12-year-old boy, developmentally appropriate way, I had found a way to really get under my mom's skin. Pick, 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 pick. It made my mom feel pretty small. And I, I can picture her face. I can picture both the pain and frustration uh, and even love in her eyes when she looked at me directly and said, Eric, I love you so much, and there's nothing I like about you right now. <laughs> if you're a parent, that probably resonates with you in a personal way in some way, I imagine. But it's that dynamic of both this deep and abiding and unending love coupled with this uh, frustration, even dislike, is always sort of in my mind as I read passages like the one that Jennifer read today. Somehow those things need to be held in tension for us. So this is a challenging passage. We're going to pray together and work our way through it. So let's pray, shall we, and, and dig right in. Well, Lord, now we, uh, we are in it, in uh, the beginning of this school year. For those of us who have um, children who are in that rhythm, University students are back, which means there's a, a much longer line at snooze. Things are settling in as we prepare for things like football seasons. And we just want to confess and declare to you that all those things are good, but also not best. And we're here, Father, to both declare and to receive what is best this morning. Lord, your word is like a lamp to our feet. It, it paves the way for us. It shows us what we must know and be thinking about our own way of life. And, and also, like a sunrise, it paints the horizon for us so we can have some image of where we are headed. Lord, will your word accomplish both of those things for us today? Would it light our footsteps and set our horizon? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you are our Lord, Rock, and Redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Uh, well, welcome, by the way. My name's Eric, one of the pastors here, and uh, really thankful that you can be here with us today. We are on our second of seven of this series we are calling Love Local, which is also meant to propel us and push us and, and pull us into a whole year of seeking what does it mean for us to look down on our feet, look up, and love whoever it is that's right in front of us. And in this particular passage in Israel's uh, history, God has, has kind of a harsh word. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? God has sort of a harsh word for um, God's people today. He's like, I, 
I'm not going to listen to your prayers. I take no joy and don't feel appreciated by the times when you gather and you worship. The incense, the, even the smell of you, I find to be detestable. God has some tough things to say to Israel today. And I think, actually, because God's Word is both set in context and eternal, some of those things are also meant for us. Why might God say some of these exact same things to us today? What's, what's going on in Israel that we can understand for us? And it turns out that they have a problem that I also struggle with. Turns out that they've, they've embraced a kind of a religion that once you've taken it on, and we've all taken it on, I think, it's really hard to dismantle and to take off. No matter how clear God is about the religion that he loves and the, the religion that leaves a, a bitter taste in his mouth, we, we can't seem to avoid it. We keep on sort of taking this kind of religion on. No matter what Jesus says about it, this false religion I still rings true for me. My mind knows better, but my heart isn't convinced. I have the same problem that Israel has. No matter how hard I try, in fact, I believe no matter how hard we try, this religion keeps creeping back into our lives. Just one word, well, and punctuation. Here it is. Come in a minute. Here we go. Hashtag blessed. I'd spend a lot of time explaining this to our 915 service. I, I might not spend quite as much time uh, with you. But for those of you who might not be as sort of connected to social media, it's a, it's a way of sort of filing a, a post you might make so people can find it and you can go back and you can find it later. And it's what's sort of become kind of this, this humble brag. My life is awesome. People take pictures of their breakfast at this really wonderful brunch place they make. It's like, third crepe today, hashtag blessed. You see them on vacation photos quite a bit. This cute family that's gotten all dressed up and hair all done. They've rolled up their jeans, they've got their white shirts on, and they're all kind of like, kind of partially in the water. And, and some grandparent says, Love seeing all my grandkids. Hashtag blessed. Just traded in my car for the newest model. Finally has Apple CarPlay. Hashtag blessed. I got engaged today. Hashtag blessed. Do you know there are over 100 million hashtag blessed um, posts on Instagram? 100 million. In fact, it's become so popular, you might know there actually it's kind of become a, a meme and there's some backlash against it, right? Now sometimes we'll, people will post a picture of um, getting rear-ended, when their car's all bumped up in the back, and they're like, got an accident today, hashtag blessed. 
People are now starting to use it ironically, but here's the, here's the challenge. No matter, no, not yet, just a second. No matter, uh, no matter how big the joke or the humble brag, we believe it. We believe that the, the good life, the good things that we have, the things that we've acquired indicate that God is pleased with us. The challenge is, in the midst of all of our comfort and the circumstances of our riches, the beauty of the experiences that we get to have, the, the health of the relationships that we get to have sometimes with our families, it, it means that somehow God has fully approved of every bit of our lives. We've taken on hashtag blessed as a religion. If I have the things that I think I need to have in my life for comfort, for fashion, for shelter, for retirement, then surely that means God approves. We believe it. I see the posts. I'm like, wow. I would never say it out loud because my mind knows better. But my heart is not convinced. And that's actually in a certain way what's going on in is Israel in this moment. Israel's about to face a couple decades of um, violence and war and loss. But at this moment, they're kind of, they've, they've had several decades of extraordinary prosperity. They've had decades of um, bumper crops. They've established sort of good trading routes that have been sort of honored and protected and money's flowing in and in and in. And they've fallen into this place where they just sort of believe that God has blessed them. And I fall into the same trap. And by observation, we all do. We carry this sense that, um, that what God has given me indicates God's pleasure at how I use it. Well, we never say this out loud. Got to keep the hashtag blessed, humble brag intact. But we think it. And in fact, that's one of the things that makes spirituality so difficult here in Boulder for students and children and adults alike. There's so much comfort here. There's so much wealth sort of just in the atmosphere that we can become pretty convinced that our lives are just fine. That everything's good. That of course God approves of me. And this is the confusion, friends. All of this acquired power and wealth and comfort, we just think it means God's pleasure, God's approval, God's blessing, and it does not mean those things. So now, hear the challenge. Here's what God says 
through Isaiah. Your worship is empty if your heart is unchanged. Your worship is empty if your heart is unchanged. And what had been happening in Israel is they had sort of over time sort of um, their spirituality kind of almost become a magic lamp. We'll have this rhythm of coming and gathering and singing and praising and hearing maybe from God's word and a rabbi or a pastor in this case comes up and it's all kind of good. It's all part of it. It's like this, this power of this magical thinking. But friends, our worship is empty if we think what it actually is about is manipulating God. God cannot be tricked. God will not be mocked. The people of Israel had started thinking that they kind of had earned this and it was good and God blessed them and loved them. What we see instead is sort of this, uh, this choice that God sets before Israel and I believe to us. You can choose the way of, of empty worship, gathering and singing songs when your, your heart is elsewhere. Or you can join God's concern for His people throughout the week. There's a way to live in worship seven days a week. Not just safely when we're here, but dangerously when we're out there. There's a way to follow His heart. There's a way for us to step in in some other way. And can I just say, I, it is really hard, isn't it? We are prone to the same error here as all of humanity for all time. We maximize the physical and we minimize being spiritually awake. We maximize the pursuit of getting whatever it is we think is going to protect and create a slightly thicker wall around us, and, and we minimize the actual spiritual concern God has, not just for us, but for all of God's creatures and people. Here's the challenge. God wants us to look down, look up. Just a little picture from um, a span over... Boulder Creek, someone sent this to me earlier this week and said, look, Eric, your sermon is everywhere. <laughs> I love that. Here's what I want you to know. God wants more for you, and God wants more from you than your current trust in the flesh. That's what was going on in Israel that's the problem I see in my neighborhood. God wants more for you, and God wants more from you than your current trust in the flesh. So what does He want you to do? He wants you to heed this call. He wants you sort of to wake up, to, to look up, and, and see that there might be another way that you can be engaged in life and in worship before Christ and with, with one another. And the, the first thing he does here in verse 17, we get to this, 16 and 17. The first thing he says is before we go anywhere else, because we're going we're gonna to start local, as local as just you, 
You have to reorder your personal lives. Find a way for your personal way of being to change and transform. He says, wash, make yourselves clean, prepare yourself to to be worshiping out in the world. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. And then these three things, stop doing wrong. Right? Stop doing wrong. C.S. Lewis says about the spiritual journey that if you've been going down the wrong path, the first thing to do is stop and turn around. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Humbly submit your mind and your imagination to a, to a new way of life, to a new way of being. Find some way to keep on sort of casting off this cloak of hashtag bless. It's going to take your lifetime to do it. But stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. You, right there, right where you are, look down, look up, love who you see. But then God doesn't just have this for this the personal faith. He has something that actually is supposed to expand out to all of culture. So don't just reform yourselves. Now let's reform society. Here's the next part of this. Defend the oppressed. Let what you do sort of have an effect out in the world. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Now we have taken, we've created over the centuries a, a number of networks that we can comfortably say we think does this. But really the question is, who are the exposed Who are they uncared for? And are they being defended by us? Plead the case of the widow. Now, if you have a Bible, you might see uh, there sort of uh, in a little asterisk is that that defend the oppressed um, also can sometimes be translated, correct the oppressor. And, and here's what I like about that. Sometimes, you know, we have to sort of go with both to sort of figure out, because um, the language is not always as clear maybe as we would like. But what I like about that is it's God's way of saying, I want all of it changed and transformed. I want those who are the oppressors and the oppressed to both know the transforming life of Christ. I want the whole overarching narrative to be different. Top to bottom, soup to nuts, all of it. So don't just, don't just sort of think about the projects who are around you. You know, the, the oppressed and the widow and the orphan. That makes us the hero. And the real problem is we are not heroes. The oppressor also needs to be corrected and trained. God has invested in all of it, looking more and more like what he cares about. Here's the challenge. Our worship can be empty. Heed the call. There's this real opportunity for us to transform and to have our lives look different. You probably know this passage from, 6, 8, from Micah 6.8. It says it really famously. He has shown you. 
And it's really, if you read the couple verses before it, what you see is almost a very similar kind of a dynamic. He's, God has said, your worship is lacking. They're like, well, what do you want us to do? Should we make our cows fatter? Should we give you more of them? Should we sacrifice our children? And God's response, or Micah responds, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require from you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Heed the call. Our comfort is not God's pleasure. Finally, verse 18. Receive grace. Isaiah's words here have been pretty hard. I'm sure it gave Isaiah no pleasure to say them. I uh, has not been my favorite day either. They've had almost sort of like a legal, sort of prosecutorial kind of a tone to them. He says something very clear to say. And then he goes on and he says uh, in this passage, would you approach the bench? Come here, I have something else I want to say to you. Would you approach the bench? Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Come on, come here. God has been judging and he's been seeing our life and he's been saying, I find it wanting. I find your comfort, your way of life, your security and your things repugnant. He takes this legal tone and he surprises us. In this last verse, God reveals the promise of free pardon. God says, look, I, I, all these things that I've been seeing, all these things that I've been seeing, they, they show up like red. They show up, they didn't have neon back then, but they show up like neon. They're like Las Vegas at midnight. I see them from miles away. Look, approach the bench. Those things that show up, I'm going to make them, he says, white as snow, which is symbolically means purity and holiness. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. That promise we can now finally and fully know through the work of Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. It's not just I'm going to sort of blot out the sin. He does do that. But what's interesting is both snow and wool are, are naturally white. They're naturally that color. So what he's saying, at least in part, is this. Come, approach the bench. I see what you've been doing, and I'm going to change your nature by my declaration. Not just wipe away the sin, but give you a new identity as one who's part of the forgiven people of God. You've been showing up like a Christmas tree and I'm going to purify you. I'm going to declare you forgiven. I'm going to change even the nature of how I see you through the work of Christ. 
Friends, this is the gospel. What are we supposed to do in the face of such love? How are we to respond when we have been offered that, that our very sinful natures will be taken from us and be given something else? What are we supposed to do now? Look down. Look up. And love what you see. Amen? Amen. Lord, we come before you acknowledging our sin before you. That this passage from Isaiah speaks more truth to me about myself than, than usually I'm willing to utter aloud. We praise you, Lord, that it also says something true about you that we almost never quite believe. Then you invite us forward to approach the bench and to be declared without sin by the precious work of Christ. Lord, you show us and teach us and instruct us and encourage us to live as those who have already been forgiven. It is in the strong name of Christ that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.